do you expect uh, church life to be like? What do you expect church life to be like? Inspiring, helpful, hopeful, um, caring, loving, and of course surrounded by uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who love God and love their neighbors themselves, that we can often experience such things as we meet together. But sadly, that is not always the case. Uh, I listened to an interview, or part of an interview this past week, with Justin Welby, who is the, uh, the new Archbishop of Canterbury. He was interviewed at the Alpha Leadership Conference uh, a few weeks ago by Nicky Gumbel, and he spoke of one of the most difficult aspects, the most painful aspects of Christian leadership, is sometimes kind of the harshest criticism that you can face from fellow believers in your own church. I get asked from time to time to mentor younger pastors. Sometimes I I get the opportunity to meet with them one-to-one. Other times I do so uh, over Skype video conferencing. And this past week I spoke to uh, one man who's uh, just been off work the last month uh, due to sickness. And the reason for that has been the sort of relentless criticism that he's been facing within his own church. Just relentless criticism and, uh, and conflict. And it's only been a few individuals. Uh, and actually, the, as he talked it over with me, the issues that he was describing are actually quite minor matters. But actually, the relentless uh, criticism that he's faced the sort of the grandstanding that has sometimes happened uh, in members' meetings in front of the whole congregation has just so emotionally worn him down that he's just had to seek medical help. Uh, He said to me, Paul, I still love Jesus, but I'm just so disillusioned with the church. So what do we expect church life to be like? Well, what did Jesus expect his church to be like? Did he expect it to be perfect and trouble-free? Well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And if you are using a church Bible, you'll find this on page 971. Page 971. Matthew chapter 7, just going to read the first six verses. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? 
You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Well, this is God's word. The context is that this is part of the most famous sermon of Jesus, the most quoted sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And he is speaking to his disciples and he's teaching them what the Christian life uh, should look like. And he is training them how to become fishers of men. So it has both the, uh, the, 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 the purpose of uh, maturity and mission. And Jesus, clearly as you read to this sermon, he didn't have rose-tinted spectacles when it came to viewing what life in his kingdom would look like in this world. And there's a couple of reasons for that, at least. Firstly, that, you know, he, he's not expecting that life is going to be trouble-free and perfect because, firstly, Christians aren't perfect. And then the second reason is because Christians live in a world that actually, where some reject what Jesus teaches and sometimes do so violently. And so actually conflict is part of the Christian experience and the Christian life. Now these verses actually deal with kind of both issues. But as you can see, the weight of the, of the issue is, is upon the first part. That uh, The reason that there's conflict and difficulty sometimes in the Christian church is because Christians are not perfect. And really, these uh, opening verses put the focus on that. And that's what we're going to be largely considering today. So there's a, a straight command there in verse 1 that we're going to focus on today. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, what, what does that mean? Uh, does it mean that you should never serve as a sheriff or a, a, a judge in uh, our legal court system? Uh, does it mean that you should be relentlessly positive about everyone and everything? Does it mean that you should have no discernment between right and wrong and good and evil? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, the context lets you know that that is not what Jesus is saying. Um, verse 6, and, you know, since the first five verses is do not judge, but then verse 6 says don't be undiscriminating. Don't be undiscerning. Uh, don't cast your pearls before the pigs. Now, I'm actually not going to spend much time on that. Uh, but I better do a little footnote just to say what I think it's about. And I think Jesus is saying that the, there are times when we have preached the gospel, we have shared the gospel, and people have heard it, and they have consistently rejected it, and there's a place where the more you share, the more angrier they're getting with you. And Jesus is saying, don't be undiscerning. There's a time where the, the precious pearl of God's kingdom, uh, you're foolish to keep putting it in front of people. There's a time to withdraw. And so when Jesus sends the disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, he says, now when you come to a household and it doesn't uh, receive you and it doesn't honor your message, there's a time to uh, shake the dust 
off your shoes and go somewhere else. And I think that's kind of what this passage is referring to. That's all I'm really going to say about it. But it's, it's clear from the context that Jesus can't be saying, you know, don't make any judgments. Because there's a time when you make a judgment, actually, I'm just casting pearls before pigs, and it's time to stop doing that. Further, if you turn over the page to um, verse 15, you're going to see that Jesus teaches that you should watch out for false prophets. He calls on us to be discerning about what is true teaching, what is false teaching. He, he, he urges us that actually uh, not everybody who turns up and wants to teach you stuff has good motives. There are wolves in sheep's clothing who are licking their lips as they're sizing up the flock. And Jesus says, by their fruits you shall know them. And so there is a place for Christians to be discerning, uh, to make judgment calls about um, whether what it's been saying is true or not, whether the motive is right or not. So this cannot be saying, uh, do not judge, full stop. It's helpful to know that the, uh, the word translated judge can have a range of meanings. It can mean uh, to discern. It can mean to be a judge in a, in a court setting. It, it can uh, mean to condemn. It can mean to uh, be judgmental. And I think in the context... That is exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's warning us, don't be judgmental. Don't be judgmental. The presumption in the original language is that the disciples were being judgmental. He's telling them to stop doing something that they were actually doing. They are being judgmental. And Jesus is saying, stop it. Stop it. That's, that's what this passage is telling us. Now, it seems to me that uh, some people feel that God has given them a very special calling to be a critic. And um, I don't know whether you've met people like this, but uh, it's a special gift that God has given them. Um, I don't know whether you ever look at the Peanuts cartoons, but Lucy is one of those characters who has that gift. And uh, there's a couple of strips like that. I mean, there's this thing where Linus is sitting there looking kind of hurt, and he's saying, why are you always anxious to criticize me? I just think I have a knack for seeing other people's faults, says Lucy. There was another strip that I couldn't quite get my hands on, and there's Linus, he's sitting comfortably, minding his own business. And there's Lucy, she's got her hand on her hips. And she stares at him and she's saying, Oh, it just happens just by looking at you. I can feel a criticism coming on. <laughs> and I don't know whether you know people like that. But uh, God has given them such great wisdom and insight, such profound gifts and abilities that uh, they find it very easy to look down their long nose and um, find fault. In fact, they're very quick to, to see where there's something that's not quite right and they can zero in on it and they can keep going on about it. They have peculiar skills with that regard. Well, Jesus wants to say to us, if we are people like that, don't be judgmental. Stop it. 
And he gives uh, a number of warnings why we should heed this command to, to stop being so judgmental. And the first reason that he gives is there in verses uh, 1 and 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you see what the warning is? There is a stricter judgment for those who are relentlessly judgmental. You see, if we set ourselves up to be the judge, watch out. You will be judged, Jesus says. If we are those who are so skilled at finding other people's faults and small foibles and problems and we go at them, well, guess what? Don't be surprised when you have to leave the judge's seat and stand in the dock yourself and face exactly the same judgment when you do those same sins yourself. Earlier, Jesus talks about, in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And it's as if this point is, is kind of the exact opposite side of that principle. Warning to those who are judgmental and harsh, because you are inviting the same harsh criticism of your own life. Now, do we want justice done in our lives? I think if we have a careful reflection, most of us would say, no, we don't want justice. We want, what do we want? Mercy. We want mercy. Uh, who could uh, bear standing up under the, the judgments of our own judgments? We don't live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. I always find it amusing when people say that they like Jesus as a moral teacher. They love the Sermon on the Mount. It's just the other stuff they don't like. Because if you understand the Sermon on the Mount, this is con completely condemning. I can only cope with the Sermon on the Mount because I know that Jesus uh, pins me as an unmerciful, hypocritical sinner and he is going to the cross to save a sinner like me. That, that's the only way I can read the Sermon on the Mount. It, it, it's a standard of righteousness that way exceeds my capabilities and I would want to suggest maybe yours too. If we really understand the Sermon on the Mount, we are longing to know that there is a place that I can be forgiven of my sins, that I can be not treated according to what I deserve. And that's exactly why Jesus uh, is on the way in his life to the cross because he's come to take the place of guilty, hypocritical sinners, to take the punishment that we deserve, take it upon himself so that I can experience mercy. I can experience grace. That's that's why Christianity is such fabulous news. Stupendous news. We sang in our hymn. Isn't it wonderful to have a hymn that has the word stupendous in it? Did you notice that? A stupendous gift. It is a stupendous gift to be forgiven and welcomed into God's family. No. We need to take very careful warning here. Now, it's a bit ambiguous. When will this judgment come? Uh, is it the judgment of our peers? And, and the truth is, is, 
that the media absolutely loves it, don't they? When they find someone who's made moral pronouncements against others, and then they find a few weeks later, a few years later, that that very person has committed very similar sins in his past life. They just jump all over that, and they are judged more harshly. We know that. But I think there's a sense in which this is probably uh, God's judgment. You remember James, he warns in in chapter 3, not many of you should be teachers because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness, which is always a sobering thing for any preacher to read. Um, But this is a warning to to, uh, people who feel called to be critics. When you judge others by those standards, watch out because like you haven't got a leg to stand on. You knew what the standards were. And so when you fall in those things, you will be judged more strictly. With the measure that you use it, it will be measured to you, Jesus says. So that's warning number one uh, about not being judgmental. Think about it. Do you really want stricter judgment? Do you really? Second warning is that we have a a terrible capacity for self-deluded blindness in verse 3 and 4. Why do you look? And notice the smallness of this thing. Uh, A bit of of sawdust is small, isn't it? Uh, Why do you look for the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I think we have some guests from uh, North Carolina with us today, and welcome to you. But I know uh, in, in America, they call conjunctivitis pink eye. So you go to your doctor, I've got pink eye, and inflammation in your conjunctive is all horrible and weeping and red. and uh. Well, Jesus wants to warn us not about uh, pink disease, about plank disease. Uh, this is a, a problem of humanity. I don't think this is particularly just a problem of Christians. This is a, this is a problem that all human beings have is that we have an amazing capacity to be able to zero in and spot the minor imperfections of others, while at the same time seem to be completely oblivious to the huge, great, big sins and weaknesses in our own life. And Jesus is just pouring on in such a comical way, isn't it? A speck of sawdust and a plank. And it's one thing to say that, well, we know it's true because we can see it in other people. We're all thinking, aren't we? I know people just like that. You know, actually, I was thinking of of illustrations of this. And it was amazing. I could come up with so many illustrations of other people. And you know what? I just couldn't come up with one for myself. And that's exactly the problem, isn't it? I mean, we really think we've got our stuff together. It's just the problem's the rest of you. And we, we can spot a problem, uh, you know, a mile off for other people, but we can't see this plank. We've got plank eye disease. Self-deluded blindness. And we saw the example of it, didn't we, in our Old Testament reading. Remember what King David had done? He'd seen a beautiful woman that wasn't his wife, desired her, slept with her, so he committed sexual immorality, adultery. And then because she got pregnant, got very inconvenient and saw to it that the husband was killed in a battle. And there he is sitting on his throne, providing justice, seeming to go on with life, fine. Um, A great big plank in his eye. 
And Nathan comes along and very subtly comes alongside. He says, I've got to tell you about this case, uh, my lord, uh, my king, my liege. About this man who just had a little lamb. That's all he had. And he loved this lamb, cared for this lamb. And a, and a neighbor who had loads of sheep. When he had a guest come, he took that one man's lamb and he ate it. And, and what happens to David? David is outraged. The injustice of it. How outrageous. Um, this man deserves to die, he said. So clearly seeing the sin any other person who is this man and then Nathan turns around and says of course you are the man couldn't see the plank in his own eye and I've seen this I've seen this I've seen this in others I'm sure it's been true of myself and Jesus wants to warn us those who love to be critics who love to pick on other people's faults. Number one, there's a stricter judgment. And number two, watch out. There is self-deluded blindness in all of us. Do you really want to rush to be such a critic and a fault finder? Actually, the warning here is that hypocrites harm other people. You know, actually, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but your eye is a very delicate, sensitive thing. Uh... You know, I don't want lots of people touching my eye. And uh, let alone somebody with a plank. So they say, oh, there's something in your eye. I want to sort out something in your eye and help you out. And they come in with a plank like this. They're bashing you. Can't even get close. They're clubbing you. They can't get close enough to deal with your eye problem. Hypocrites harm. So the person who comes in and wants to sort everybody else's problems out, and quite clearly there's obvious sin and problems in their life, they're not doing anyone any favors. They're just harming themselves and they're harming other people. And so Jesus wants to give us some winsome wisdom here. Um, and there it is in verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Hypocrites harm, but humble brothers help. Do you see the stages? If you really want to be of help to other people, what do you need to do? Verse 5. First, take the plank out of your own eye. You're not seeing clearly. You think you are, but you're not. You need to deal with the sin in your own life before you start thinking you can go out helping all the people around you. This is a problem when we can't see our own sin, isn't it? And this is why it's actually helpful to our brothers and sisters who will be honest with us. And that's why it's helpful to sort of talk to them and say, look, I'm asking you, is there something that you see in my life that you think needs to change? It's a helpful thing to say that to your spouse who knows you best or a really close friend who is willing to say it to you. But from time to time, it's well worth us asking questions like that if we want to grow as disciples. Can you see something in my life that's, that's obviously a, a fault that 
that I'm not seeing. Can you, can you help me? And then you kind of grip the seat, don't you? Just hoping they say, no, you're perfect. You know, I've done this. I've asked my wife at times, is there any, is there any problem? I'm just inside. I'm just saying, no, just say no. Everything's great. But, you know, sometimes she can find things. It's amazing, really. And, uh, but we would be wise to pursue that help. Now, someone barging into your life and telling you what's wrong with your life is not very helpful. You got that? But actually, you asking for help and being willing to receive that is very helpful. First, remove the plank from your own eye. Now, what's that going to do? I don't know whether you've had this experience where you've gone on through life and you think, actually, I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm really growing as a Christian. Everyone's happy with me. And uh, this is great. And, uh, and then stuff happens in your life where you suddenly realize, actually, you're hurting lots of people and you never saw it. Have you had that experience? It's very painful. When actually the Lord opens your eyes to see how your sin is hurting other people. It's an awful moment of realization, but it's a wonderful moment when we'll take hold of the gospel of grace. Seek God to forgive us and seek his help to kind of get that plank out of our eye. And the experience of doing that, what does that do to you as a person? It makes you humble, doesn't it? See, if I think I've got my stuff together and I'm just so sorted as a Christian then I, I, I have a great temptation to be proud. And I think that it's quite uh, clear the logic of the flow of this um, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been dealing with you know, teaching about giving to the needy and, and about praying and how to pray right and, and fasting. And he's talked about you know, choosing to use your money to invest in the things of the kingdom and not just storing up treasures on earth. And he's talked about priorities and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And if, if you are a person who's taken seriously God's words and you've actually made some very hard-fought, painful, sacrificial progress, you've sacrificed, you, you've done this stuff and it's hurt you a bit, like all true discipleship does. And then you, you kind of meet other Christians who seem far more careless. And they haven't done what you've done. It is a huge temptation to start going, oh, look at them. You're getting proud, isn't it? I think plank eye disease is perhaps a peculiarly evangelical temptation. We who have been in churches where we're well taught... We do expository Bible teaching. We do in-depth Bible study together. And, you know, uh, it's very tempting and easy to go to other places and, and we hear a sermon and they don't quite handle the text quite right. There's a few things they got wrong. They're not major things, but all you talk about at the end is, oh, did you see they got that completely wrong? They don't know how to handle the Bible. Oh, I think it is a purely evangelical disease, this plank eye disease, and I put myself in the same boat. And I think we need to heed what Jesus says to be asking him to make us aware of our own sin, help friends to do that. Because when we do that, we are humbler people. We don't come as a high, lifted up, proud person to sort out your, your problems. We know that we too are sinners. We know that we need God's grace. We know that God's had to deal with this huge issue in our lives. And do you know what? When you have humbly dealt with the, the plank in your own eye, you can be such a blessing and a help to other brothers and sisters. Have you had a little speck of something in your eye? 
It is awful, isn't it? It's an awful thing when you've got something down there and you, 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 you say to someone you love and trust, oh, have a look in my eye, please. Have a look. Can you see it? Oh, it's really driving me crazy. I wanna... Can you get it out? Can you get it out? It, it is an awful thing to have a speck in your eye. It's not a small thing. So Jesus is not saying, okay, just don't judge other people. Just keep your mouth shut. No, it's the first stage. Deal with your own sin. But yes, we need to be a help. We need to be a blessing to others. But actually, only when we come humbly to our brothers and sisters, knowing that uh, we've dealt with this big sin, are we in a place where we can deal with the small sins. In fact, if we're humbly to acknowledge our big sins, the person with the small fault and failing will say, actually, I'm, you can help me. I've, you've dealt with the plank. You can help me with my speck. Do you know what I mean? We can receive that. And actually, church life is, is about that. That we can lovingly and humbly help our brothers and sisters. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So I guess the question today is this. Will, will we stop being judgmental hypocrites? Let's put it as starkly as that. Will you stop being a judgmental hypocrite? Will you? Well, the answer could be no. Heed the warning of Jesus. You will be judged with stricter judgment. Let me tell you, walking around with that plank in your eye, whacking everybody about, is only hurting other people. Just chatting with this, this, this pastor. He loves Jesus. I'm sure he's not without fault, but he's off sick because he's taken such a battering from his brothers and sisters who've just relentlessly picked on the small things in his ministry and they could take him out of action completely. This is the big problem of being a judgmental hypocrite. Will you stop? Well, if the answer is yes, then let me tell you, we're going to have wonderful opportunities to exercise the wisdom of this passage. Um, the Christian life and church is not perfect and trouble-free because Christians are not trouble and perfect-free. Uh, we do. Jesus knew that his disciples would have specks in their eyeballs and even planks. That This is a, a, a recipe for conflict and, 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 and difficulty. But you know what? Jesus has taught us here how we can helpfully work together. And that is when we'll humbly acknowledge our sin and seek his grace and then lovingly come alongside to help our brothers and sisters. Church then can be a place of encouragement, love, care, inspiration, hopefulness, because here's a group of people who are being changed by God's grace. Yeah, they're not a perfect bunch, but they love each other. And the question is, well, what sort of church do we want to be at Charlotte Chapel? Because it's kind of over to all of us now, isn't it? As we've heard Jesus speak to us. We've got a church business meeting coming up. Always a great opportunity to find out where we're at on this, isn't it? I don't know what it is, but get Christians together and they start talking business and start getting agitated sometimes. And I don't know why that is. You know, I wonder when when brand new Christians or new members kind of come to their first pastoral group business meeting, uh, 
do they find a place of loving care, encouragement, inspiration, hopefulness? Or do they go away thinking, what are we doing here? So it's over to us, isn't it? I'll tell you what, I, I'm opting for the let's be the loving, encouraging, hopeful, inspiring. Encour- do you want to be that church? Oh, I do. I do. Let's ask God's help, shall we? Let's pray.